At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, spring is just around the corner, and spring means trout fishing. And I can't think of a better way to start off trout season than three interviews back-to-back with Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. Thanks for listening to Warden's Watch. A Game Warden's children's book, titled A Cowboy in the Woods, is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood, while trying to solve a neighborhood mystery. What he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. 
Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join HuntOfALifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit HuntOfALifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, episode 80, 81, and 82 are coming out today. And this is going to be the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. And as we've talked about with the Game Commission, uh, we all know now that everything's separated. So I had the opportunity to talk with the executive director, uh, Tim Schaefer, right at the Great American Outdoor Show. So you're going to hear a lot of noise in the background, a lot of action. I also got a opportunity to speak with their colonel, Clyde Warner, and uh, one of their officers, Rachel Turner Diaz, which <laughs> Rachel's got quite the story, John. Awesome. Yeah. She, uh, you know, I think of this uh, national, international woman's month and Rachel's like the epitome of it because she, her cover picture is her in a full uniform working <laughs> pregnant, which is, yeah. which is just a- epic up to the th- three days before she had her son and a th- like three weeks before she had her daughter, she did full duty. So my hat's off to her. Yeah, she is a go-getter, and she epitomizes one driven game warden, right? Yeah. Regardless, uh, you know, female or male, that's what you want to see. She's not going to be out of the game until the last second, right? That's uh, she's she's quite the lady, and it was quite the interview, and I really enjoyed it. And they, they rolled out the red carpet there in Pennsylvania. I want to thank everybody down there. They did a uh, was a great opportunity to integrate with them, and and have a good time and learn about Pennsylvania. And that's what we're passing on to our listeners, learning about game wardens around the country and around the world. Yeah, so excellent, excellent stuff. And it was fun that you got to still we still got to kind of work remotely on some of our podcasts. Like yeah, we did. You were out at the. Uh, at the show, we were out at the studio and just just connecting and getting some stuff done and kind of multitasking, you know, from two parts uh, all the way across the world, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I was I was very happy with the way things came out. The internet connections, as we know, we always struggle with, <laughs> but uh, that that one worked out very well and it it was good. And we uh, actually got to interact very well with that. And John Hayes, uh, you know, it was funny with that one. We had done the interview saying that we had beat Meat Eater. And we were, I was pretty happy about that. And the next thing I know, they release uh, 
John Hayes on Meat Eater before we do. <laughs> well, you know, the, the funny part about that, Wayne, was he, we had plugged, you know, I had plugged our mutual friend, Stephen Ranilla, being an alumni of that show myself. It hadn't even gone public yet because we were still producing our show. Right. He texted a couple of days after he recorded with us and said, brother, you won't believe it. I just got an invite to come down to Bozeman. <laughs> And, uh, be on the meat eater podcast and i said well i guess i guess steven and yanni were feeling my you know tell clairvoyant pressure waves of get them on your show yeah and yeah that just dropped last week john is absolutely blown up and well deserved yeah he's gained seven thousand followers he said friday he was the only one in the shop and uh you know gave all his guys a break because they've been grinding and he had over a hundred emails of new work orders and it was just going exponentially crazy. Mm. So he's still dealing with that great, great fallout from Meat Eater. And what a great way to promote such a good business. And more importantly, a conservationist in the game of taxidermy and wildlife art. And just so proud of him and happy it worked out. And uh, we're the first, you know, two podcasts he's ever done. Uh, yeah. And, and, and similar but different, which I, I think listeners listening after the Meat Eater podcast and then listening to ours will, will, will really enjoy it. They'll really, you know, peel back another layer of the onion. Yeah, yeah, good unique difference, but uh, really proud of them, and uh, that'll be going. So, And then uh, we just launched ours last Friday, and I'm getting a lot of good feedback from that episode, and so is he, and he's really happy with it. So here we go. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Again, John Hayes, that is. Uh, we had double Johns on that day. That worked out good. And you've been working, your boy, you've been out of control. I, I, you know, last time we had to do a lead-in without you because you were doing your documentary, which is uh, getting exciting, man. Yeah, it's ramping up, guys. Um, the Call Sign Trailblazer documentary started physical production in Montana on the home front. Last month, uh, we were up there in February to capture the core of the winter and all the great waterways, frozen waterfalls, you know, just the resources mm -hmm. left to protect that aren't necessarily impacted by the cannabis cartels and did three days and three nights of filming there with a very, very dedicated production team that was not used to those type of <laughs> and I can say of all the filming I've done all over the world, that was by far the most challenging shoot, but also the most rewarding. Yeah. And then we've been, we're back in California now, um, working in Ground Zero, where a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the real dangerous events happened where we almost lost officers' lives on early missions. Mm. We started to form up this specialty in, in the work we do and getting to interview, you know, old iconic brothers and sisters in law enforcement from other agencies as well as our own has been amazing. So we're doing that. We did that this week and we have production schedules right through April um, and then in May. And it's going to be all over the West Coast. Uh, Jack Carr is going to be uh, a guest on uh, documentaries. We're flying out to Utah to spend some time with him next month. Nice. Uh, Ed Calderon also yeah. on those subject matters that we're both mutual with um, yeah. when it comes to that. And just uh, a lot of guests <laughs> and nice. a lot of field time. We're going back into the field deeply and we should have this thing filmed and ready for post-production by the end of May if everything goes as planned and that's the schedule. So, But Great. it is uh, nonstop, as you know, Wayne, from the time we did on Northwood's Law and Wild Justice, except instead of just being on the show and running these guys around, I'm a producer as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts to being part of the production team, but I'm learning a lot, kind of drinking through a fire hose, <laughs> having a great time. It's like, you know, running a new, building a new team like Met at this level of production. So um, I think you guys are going to absolutely love this story. It's not traditional, it's not what you're going to expect. And uh, we're getting close. So thank everybody for the support and the patience when I'm kind of out of pocket these days. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, we're all looking forward to it, so it's great. And if you guys haven't seen it, John's got a little uh, snippet out on his Instagram, too. You should go to there and check out his his little uh, update and stuff on working through that uh, documentary, because it's really, really good. Cool. Well, great. We're going to jump right into the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission with uh, these three great podcasts in episode 80, 81, and 82. And thanks a lot. This is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 80, Executive Director, Fish and Boat Commission, Pennsylvania, Tim Schaefer. Great. On this Warden's Watch, I am sitting down at the Great American Outdoor Show with Executive Director Tim Schaefer of the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. And thank you so much, Tim, for joining Warden's Watch. And I, I really like starting from the top. And I found out after interviewing a few colonels, uh, it kind of made the, the field force relax a little to, mm-hmm. to, to talk to me. <laughs> so th- thanks for sitting down. I've been able to talk to your colonel and one of your officers, and I plan on talking to a few more officers and uh, putting a Pennsylvania package together for Warden's Watch so they get a real flavor for Pennsylvania. And one of the unique things about Pennsylvania, regards to anybody else in the country, is the divisions mm-hmm. among uh, game and fish. Yes, yeah, so we have separate fish. That we're the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. We have responsibility for all fish, reptiles, and amphibians and recreational boating. And then our, our, our sister agency, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, is responsible for birds and wildlife and recreational hunting and trapping. We have a great relationship um, with the Game Commission. And what having separate agencies allows us to do is to focus on our core missions. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that I've walked into the Capitol and somebody wants to talk about deer hunting, you know, even though I work for the <laughs> Fish right, and Boat Commission. Right. Um, but it really allows us to focus on the aquatic resources of Pennsylvania. Um, we're the Keystone State for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because we got something for everyone when it comes to fishing and boating. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen that firsthand, and you guys complement each other well. You support each other well. Uh, that That is really good because, you know, the other thing I thought of is it could go the other way of fighting and yeah. this and that. And that's not the case at all in Pennsylvania. You complement each other. We do. And, in fact, I was at the Game Warden graduation on Saturday morning, and I was really proud mm. to be there, again, with, with our sister agency to recognize the new officers. You mentioned at the beginning, you know, talking with our colonel and some of our officers. I mean, people say starting at the top, they really are are starting at the top for us. They are the, the ones that are that have the most interaction with the public, and I, I just could not be happier with the job that they do, talking with our customers, talking with constituents, working hand-in-hand hand with our biologists, you know, whether it's, you know, going out and surveying a stream, a pollution incident, maybe we've got an issue with the property owner, they're the ones that are on the front lines and just really proud of the job that they do every day. Absolutely, and that, it's kind of neat. I, I really enjoy it, but the history, too. The history with both agencies is really, it just boggles my mind because you were like one of the first law yeah. enforcement agencies in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, yeah, and I, and I, I think it might be New Hampshire. I've got to get my history straight here, but I think it goes that maybe New Hampshire was the first fish and wildlife agency and then our agency was the second founded in 1866 so yeah yeah. and specifically the fish and boat commission or just the fish commission or fish commission so our 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 enabling legislation was recodified in 1980 and we became the fish and boat commission but yeah fish commission was started was the the board of fish commissioners and uh you know back then pennsylvania's forests were denuded you had 
lots of sedimentation and runoff into the rivers mm -hmm. and then ultimately issues around uh, shad restoration um, in the Susquehanna. But yeah, it was, it was all really initially about, about water quality and making sure uh, that the streams could sustain the fish populations. And here we are over 150 years later, you know, leading the charge. And again, we don't just work with the Game Commission, but we have a great relationship with the Department of Agriculture, with the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, who manages state parks and state forests, our Department of Environmental Protection. County conservation districts, which were there at the local level, we're just one piece of the puzzle, and work with partners all across the Commonwealth. Yeah, it's amazing how our founding fathers thought of fish. Though I did an interview in Scotland, and their founding paperwork goes back to the 1600s, the authority to protect fish. Yeah, and they they knew what a resource it was, probably more so than there, because they were harvesting fish to eat on a daily basis. It, they do. You ever heard of a book called The Founding Fish? So there's an author named John McPhee, and John McPhee talks about how shad were the founding fish for the country mm -hmm. because as Washington and the troops were starving at Valley Forge, um, barely making it through the winter, really look forward to that shad run yeah. of fish, and they sustain the troops. So they, you got the founding fathers, you got the founding fish. And I didn't know that. So again, <laughs> I, I love podcasting. I learn so much as yeah. I go around it. I hope my listeners learn so much about the, the founding fish. That's, yeah. uh, that's, that, that's perfect. And you continue this with your stocking programs, and that's another mm -hmm. unique thing. I think you're so transparent with your stocking. You get public input, public help we do uh, it's, it's great so our stocking in fact that's the number one thing that one people want to talk about here at the show this week so our mm. stocking schedules went live last week we put them up on our website which is fishandboat.com we have a mobile app which is fishboat pa making it easier than ever for people to connect with us and the things that we do mm -hmm. and we put our stocking schedules up in real time if we make an adjustment say there's a snowstorm next week that moves you off kilter well in real time we'll update what the new schedule is we stock about 3.2 million trout every year out of our <laughs> network of state fish hatcheries. We wow. have a network of cooperative nurseries. These are volunteer sportsmen's club, about 150 of them. They stock another million trout. You put that on top of the tens of thousands of miles of wild trout streams that we have in Pennsylvania. I mean, you, you can't beat spring in Pennsylvania. No, for, for sure. Now, is trout the only thing you stock, or is there other species? That's a great question. We do stock other species. So we have a number of warm water hatcheries um, uh, up in northwestern Pennsylvania, Linesville. If any of your listeners just happen to be around on, on April 9th, we have a really great open house. That's the place where we do our muskie and walleye work primarily. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, we stock muskie. We stock walleye, largemouth bass, uh, catfish, panfish. And a lot of places where we do that is Pennsylvania, like a number of other states, and I would suspect New Hampshire, where you're from, is the same way. You got a lot of old infrastructure. Mm. Part of that infrastructure are dams. Yes. And that, that'll make the news a lot nationally when a dam fails. Well, we're, we've been getting ahead of the curve in the Commonwealth and replacing our old dam infrastructure. And unfortunately, a lot of it's the same vintage, so they're all coming to roost at the same time. And think of a, of a bridge needing repaired or a highway. Same thing with dam infrastructure. Well, when you fix the dam, you got to drain it. Mm -hmm. And you got to start over with the fishery. Mm -hmm. Where do those fish come from? Us. Yeah. So we'll work with a local state park and say, okay, let's get a fisheries management plan together. We'll start with the uh, with the uh, bait fish, make your way up through, you know, get the bluegills in there, largemouth, whatever it might be. So yeah, we do stock um, warm water species as well. And you know, some of the fishing that we have in Pennsylvania, yep, 
back to the trout, mm -hmm. we would not have trout fishing in a lot of a lot of the parts of Pennsylvania in the southern tier without our hatchery system. The, the habitat conditions and water temperatures just wouldn't sustain them throughout the year. So it right. complements that recreational opportunity. But a lot of our walleye fisheries, um, muskie, we've got a dynamite muskie, hmm. uh, muskie program. You simply wouldn't have muskie fishing in most of Pennsylvania right. without the hatchery. And our, our staff of, of, of fisheries biologists, um, hatchery managers have put together just a dynamite muskie program where we're now Used to be we'd stock them in the 9 to 10 inch range. Now we're holding them a little bit longer, mixing up the feed, and stock them when they're 14 to 16 inches long. Uh, the survival rate is a lot greater. You know, they, they called the fish to 10,000 casts. We're trying to make the odds a lot better. We would just try a shotgun approach and see where they might take. We've now focused a, a specific subset of lakes where we really think they'll do better, stocking bigger fish, and we're hearing great responses from the anglers who are catching them at higher rates than ever. Wow. Yeah. That, 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 that's great. That's great. And, and behind the scenes, I always thought those hatchery people are the unsung heroes of a lot yeah. of agencies. They do a lot of work, and they grow those fish, and they're passionate about it. And people don't see that unless they go to the hatcheries and actually take a little visit and see what's going on there. They do. And, you know, during COVID, everything got screwed up, but we're happy mm. our hatcheries are back open. The public can come and see what we do. We yeah. mentioned about... You know, those stocking schedules that we have online, they're open to the public. And so if you go on there and say, hey, we're going to meet at the, you know, the XYZ Fire Hall at 11 o'clock on, on Thursday morning to stock, come out and see what we do. But, yeah, the hatchery staff, and, again, I'll, I'll really emphasize the way the integration among the agency. That's one of the things that I'm just so proud of our team. We started with the officers. Now we're talking hatcheries. But our biologists... They're out there every day figuring out, you know, with the hatchery staff and with mm. the local WCO, which is what we call them here, waterways conservation officers. Yes. But it'll be a team effort between the WCO, your area fisheries manager, and then the, um, and then the, the hatchery staff to say, what's the best mix for this water? You know, mm. what's the best time of year to do it? And really, absolutely is a team effort. Um, and then with the biologist, we're doing more and more habitat work ourselves. We've got a phenomenal habitat unit that does work in lakes, does work in streams. You know, we do it because it benefits the fish population, but we're, you know, sitting here in Harrisburg, there's a big bullseye nationally on the Chesapeake Bay. It's mm -hmm. just downstream. Well, some of the best things you could be doing for water quality in the Chesapeake Bay are cleaning up the streams in Pennsylvania that, you know, you'll produce new, good new fish habitat, but at the same time, you reduce nutrients, sediments, repair your local impaired waters ultimately affects the bay but i tell people you got to make it relevant mm -hmm. you know for as much as we need to do downstream let's get that local look that local creek back to where it needs to be right do the work there and then you know and it, the it's work. all downhill from yeah, there you really. got it. yeah yeah no that's that, that's that's telling and you guys have really invested in technology as far as your app and yep. tell us about that because I, I was excited as a, a non-resident coming into pennsylvania all the information that would be available to me yeah i'd say so i mentioned the top thing at the uh, booth this week has been the stocking schedules second top thing is the app so it's fish mm. boat pa it's a mobile app you can buy your license on there like a lot of you know other states will we we contract with a vendor for us it's NIC right. that runs the license system for us so they do all the back end work for us mm -hmm. um, but now you can go on to the go through that mobile app you can buy your license we've included instructional videos for people that might not be comfortable doing it on their phone yeah so the license is there I mentioned the stocking schedules uh, the near me features just trying to make this as simple and transparent mm -hmm. and as one-stop shop as possible for everybody so that they could spend more time fishing and less time worrying about you know where to get their license yeah it's, it's funny that you said that instructional video because it's the same with podcasting 
especially with the older generation, they really want to listen to Warden's Watch, but they don't know how. So I've started asking some of the guys, you know, would you like me to put it on your phone? And you think I gave them a pot of gold or something. No. Would you do that for me? And it, it's really simple. You know, do you find a podcast uh, distributor, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you go on there and you search Warden's Watch, but just to show them and do that. So an instructional and video has to be really important to that, that resistance, so to speak. There's a lot of kids that have grown up with applications mm-hmm. and smartphones. I'm not one of them. I've learned all the, all the way we go. Podcasting has been, you know, drinking through a fire hose for yeah. me. But uh, that's that's really good that you do that, especially letting them know this is how you do it. Uh, last night, I, I was here last evening, and a guy stopped by. And we do sell licenses here. But I said, you know, sir, you can actually get it on your phone now. He said, really? How do you do that? And a couple, and I don't really know what I'm doing, but <laughs> I, I walked him through it, and he uh, said, "This is great. I'll do it that way." You know, when we rolled our new license platform out last year, the day that we and we picked a day, and we did it jointly with the game commission. We picked a date where there were typically slower sales for the year. Mm-hmm. And I had my kids try it. My kids are I have twin boys. We're 17. They'll be 18 next yeah. month. You know, they're 16 at the time. I said, "Guys, you go online. You see, you know what, how this works." And that was the first day it was launched, and we did have some growing pains. Yes. And that's one thing I'll say to the listeners. We are always looking to do things better. If right. you do go onto the app, if you go onto our website, and you see something we can do better, let us know. If you mm. see one of our WCOs in the field or you attend a stocking, you know, we do not have the market cornered on good ideas. In fact, quite the contrary. They generally come from the public. So let yeah. us know how we're doing, and we'll, we'd be happy to improve. Or you steal them from somebody else that's kind of from the public. <laughs> yeah, and feel free to steal from us. Yeah, and other states. I mean, if other states see something that they like that we're doing, right. oh, my gosh, happy to share it with them. So that this electronic age that we're getting into is really important and COVID invested a lot of dollars into our systems that maybe agencies didn't have before and that's probably a really good place for to take that extra money and invest it It, it, because it's not going away right right and you know one thing that we did as out of circumstance and need was shifted to a lot of mobile programming so Mm. we've got in fact here in our booth we have you know one of our educators um, who does a great job but when COVID hit, we weren't doing in-person fishing programs. Right. We do family fishing programs, intro to kayak fishing. We just had a great intro to ice fishing for for women up in north northern Pennsylvania. Nothing like your winners in um, New Hampshire, <laughs> but it was yeah. You know, we got it. We have ice this year, which was great. But we see that sort of hybrid approach of a an online and web-based tutorial coupled with the in-person. It's working, and people like yeah. that. So. All right, so you take the intro to fly fishing piece. You, you do some pieces online initially, and then you meet them in person. Uh, it works, and I think you'll see us continuing to do that. We've done the same thing with teachers. You know, you talked about technology changing. One of our signature programs with schools is something called Trout in the Classroom. We provide trout eggs to teachers. Awesome. And then they raise them up as part of their curriculum, teach them about water quality. Uh, but there's a lot of that content that we can share electronically with the teachers, mm-hmm. and then they can impl- implement it in their schools. I was, we were proud that even you know, despite the circumstances of the last year, um, we really didn't, we lost hardly any of the teachers in this program. We got them the information, like I said, electronically. They're raising the fish in the, in the classrooms, and it, it could be better. Yeah, no, that, that's it's really good. They could actually put a live camera on the the trout thing yeah. and if the kids aren't in class. But no, that's that's great, and, it, and I think it's a good mix. Uh, you know, I always take the good out of the bad. Yeah, COVID has sucked. Yeah, but there's been some good things that have 
resulted from it. Yeah, and then, you know, we talked about a couple, a couple other ones, that co things that come to mind is even just the way that we interact. We have our board of commissioners. We have 10 mm -hmm. commissioners, um, and they're the ultimate policy-making body for the organization, set the rules and regulations. But we've shifted to doing more online committee meetings where we can accept public comment from people all across the Commonwealth. It used to be, you know, four times a year you meet in Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. I'm not making the drive for that or whatever it might be. Right. We've opened that process up so more people could be engaged. That's been a benefit. Um, You're saving fuel. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it, but believe me, it's great. we got commissioners yeah. from all over the place. Yeah. The other thing with the online courses, you know, is with basic boating courses. So we're here at the show, and when people come, one of the things that they're really struck by is the imagery that we have. Mm -hmm. And behind us today is images of folks in kayaks yes. and in their, in their life jackets. And when people wanted to get out on the water the last two years, a lot of times it was the first time for them. So our online basic boating courses went through the roof. I mean, mm. absolutely through the roofs. Yeah, COVID, we hate it. We'll be ready when it's fully gone. But there have been some benefits to us in terms of how we operate better to address. Sure, take it. Yep. Huh? Yep, help yourself. You bet. So that was just someone yeah. stopping by. One of the things, if you talk now, we're talking like we're you know, live. Well, we're, we're live and we're talking about um, technology. And that guy just wanted a poster. It's our, our oh, Pennsylvania sorry. Fishes poster, which is yeah. super. You're welcome. So super popular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know let's 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 put this behind us. But there are some lessons we've learned that'll make things better going forward. Yeah, I know. Uh, absolutely. Uh, kayaks, uh, the, we were talking life jackets, and life yeah. jackets are so important. I just want to put that out there. You guys have a very unique law that I think is a very important law, that it, that cold weather. We do, and, and I say this all the time, wherever I'm speaking. If there's one thing you remember, I don't care if you remember anything from, from this podcast, it's wear your life jacket. Mm. And I, I admit, before I started working for the agency, I didn't wear my life jacket all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You sort of knew you should, but I never did. Right. But there's... The worst part of this job, when I see my phone light up, 6 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon in the summertime with one of our officers' phone numbers, I, I know exactly what that's mm -hmm. going to be. And frankly, it brings tears to my eyes every time I see it. Absolutely. Wear your life jacket all year long. But what you're talking about, uh, during the cold weather months, we put this in a number of years ago from November 1st through April 30th. The life jackets are required on all canoes, kayaks, and boats under 16 feet. Mm -hmm. It's irrefutable. You'll, in fact, we just shared this data with some of our board members earlier in the week. The majority of the boating incidents take place in the summertime. Disproportionately, the fatalities happen in the winter. Huh. You go in the water when the water's cold. You have that involuntary gasp of air. Hypothermia yeah. sets in super quick. You're disoriented. You're not coming out. And yeah. there are years where everybody that we've seen has gone in, gone in the water during those cold weather months results in a fatality. We've been hearing interest from other states asking how it's doing. We've got the data to show that it's worked. Fatalities have gone down in those cold weather months. We talked about trout stocking schedules earlier. A lot of people like to fish from a boat for the opening day of trout season on, on April 2nd, you know, at a state park lake or somewhere else. You know, it may be 50, 60, heck, even 70 degrees on that day. But mm -hmm. you know what? That water is still bone-chillingly cold, right. and if you do tip your boat, you're probably not getting out. So, mm. again, wear your life jacket. They're easier. But your, your listeners probably know this. They're easier to wear than ever. Mm. They're more comfortable. You have you, some the self-deploy. Oh There's gosh. all kinds of them out there now. Yeah, waterfowl hunters. Again, talking about their, the partnership with the Game Commission. This, this was actually cute. And what Brian Burhans is my counterpart uh, at Pennsylvania Game Commission, and we did something for National Hunting and Fishing Day last fall. We did a video. 
and we mixed it up. I, I was the one that delivered the tree stand safety harness <laughs> message, <laughs> and, and Brian delivered the life jacket message because, you know, waterfowl hunters, you're out there, and those are easier. You know, you got the the, uh, the flotation device built into your float coat, so there's really yeah. no excuse not to wear your and life that's jacket. That's why me and my son wear waterfowl hunting. It's easy. You forget it's there, and it's it's, warm. it's, it's and gonna it's warm too. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's great, and you know, I think it's. I remember growing up, it was like you didn't wear your life jacket because you were a good swimmer, and I was always a good swimmer. But what really got me into wearing my life jacket more and more, we had an incident where a good swimmer jumped off the boat in one of our lakes, and it was a windy day, and the boat blew away, and he couldn't keep sure. up with the boat, and he drowned. So now every time I swim off my pontoon boat, I wear a life jacket yeah. because you can get tired, it can get windy, even the strong. I can't even believe how many drownings I've covered from strong, strong people, good swimmers, that they get tired and, like you said, the temperatures overcome them. I, can so. th- I think of two examples of where um, in different years and in different bodies of water, guys had a heart attack. And mm. people saw them. People literally saw them struggling out on their boat. And one of the guys was in a, a racing skull um, rowing his boat. The folks see him struggling in the water, tips over. By the time they get there, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he died of a heart attack. Had he had a, a well-fitting life jacket on that would have kept his head above water, he might have made it. And that's another right. thing we've been reminding people. It's not just about the life jacket. Make sure it fits. We can all remember being a kid. You get a life jacket that's too big. You get the water sort of goes up over your head. Mm-hmm. That'll actually suffocate the kids. If a wa- And I would assume this is the same in every state. You know, if one of our officers uh, does a safety check on the boat when, when they're interacting with you for a reason, we'll make sure you not only have the proper number of life jackets, but that they fit properly. Mm. So you may have four kids on the boat and you got five adult life jackets. That's not going to cut it. That's not right. going to work for the kid. We taught the touchdown test where, you know, Super Bowl week, I guess we can talk about it. You put your arms up like mm-hmm. you're signaling for a touchdown and have the kid do that. If you can grab the top of the life jacket, pick it up without that life jacket coming up over the kid's head, it fits. If when you pick it up and it comes up over their head, it is too big. So not only have the life jacket, but make sure it fits. No, very, very important stuff. Geez, I think we've covered a, a ton of information. And uh, anything you just want to share with the listeners about Pennsylvania? I mean, it's a, it's a very unique state, and I'm, I'm glad I'm covering it because I think uh, nationwide the, the listeners are going to be, like, really intrigued because I have been. I learned... I learned from one of your officers, from Rachel, about the golden trout. Yeah. And I, I always thought that was some hybrid, nothing I would want to catch, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was prized down here. And I actually told her there was another podcaster that made a big deal that she caught a golden trout. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it's huge. Like, so, so the <laughs> golden rainbow trout, they're, they're a, a former rainbow trout. We do stock them at our, we raise them in our hatcheries and stock yeah. them. We stock them pre-season and in-season. That's another thing with our mobile app. When we would list the trout stockings, we would they're a form of rainbow trout, so they would just be looped, lumped in with the rainbow trout. Mm-hmm. But now we specifically say where we're stocking the goldens, let people know where they are. I can vividly remember my one son, we were fishing on Clark's Creek, which is north of Harrisburg. He caught maybe a, a 10 or 12-inch golden rainbow. You would have thought he caught... Huh. I mean, it was it was the biggest deal ever. I mean, he had caught uh. bigger fish, but to catch that thing, oh my gosh, went through the roof. They're visible. You can see them. They're a lot of fun for kids. But to your point, again, the Keystone State, 
world-class walleye fishing in Lake Erie, yeah. coming across the Commonwealth. I mean, you name it, we've got it. And then over to you know, straight bass along the Delaware River. Uh, we love it. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to do this job on behalf of the anglers and boaters. One thing we didn't talk about is you know the water quality. I mean, our officers are out there day in and day yeah. out. They're on the front lines of that. And they do have water pollution law enforcement authority. They do that proactively at the local level. Um, it's just a great place to be, a yeah. great place to work, and it's, yeah, it's a pleasure to do so. Yeah, water quality is so important for oh. all of us, for drinking, for fish, yeah. you name it. And, and, and that's, you know, I, we t I talked with a, a state representative earlier. You know, that's one of the things that I think trout season really highlights because mm. um, there's a, a great catch and release ethic, and we've got a lot of catch and release streams, and people do that voluntarily. But, heck, it's fun to take a couple of fish home and eat them. I do, it all, I do it all the time. It's great. Yeah. And what a great lesson for a kid that that water is clean enough mm -hmm. that you can take that fish out, take it home, and, uh, and eat it. And uh, I, when COVID hit, so this might be a good way to even end it. So the world's falling apart mm -hmm. two years ago. We're figuring out how to stock. We're figuring out how to do opening day. I mean, it's just hitting you. And I, it's, it was just a blur. But we, we got through it, and we did great. But I remember that first week of trout season, my kids and I went to local stream where I used to fish a lot as a kid. And I'm not making this up. That evening, we went out. We each caught one trout. Not mm. like three, but one. We each caught one trout. I remember walking down the path back to where we had parked. It wasn't far from the house. Just a quick drive. Walking up the path with them. Brought them home put the fish in a cast iron skillet and had it for dinner that night. And after, as the world was just disintegrating around us, my wife was at work that night and the boys and I are there and I thought, this was, this is good. Went back to the basics. This is really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of that good family stuff no, came out of that. Love so. it. I'm, I was getting choked up thinking about yeah. it. It was, it was a great day and that's, that's I the reason. I started smelling we, the fish as you were cooking it well, too. I was like. we do it, man. It's fun. Yeah. It's, it's just. It, and it, those it, are the memories that I have of my parents doing the same thing, cooking those fish. And those are the memories yeah, your boys are going to have. Yeah. You know, so I remember it, when that happened and we went down and cooked fish. Yeah. yeah it's great. So, Hot and cooked. Yeah. Well, can't well, beat it. Yeah. So. Can't. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tim, for taking the time out of your busy day, a busy show here at the Great American Outdoors show. Pretty uh, pretty great place for fishermen, hunters, outdoors people mm -hmm. to come and to, to actually interact with the, you know, the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. Yeah. It, it's great, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Warden's Watch listeners. You bet. Thank you. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.